Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. So COP26, it's going to make a great deal of noise. Many climate promises and commitments will be made. And even if all its objectives are met with massive expenditure of money, our guest argues almost nothing will be achieved as far as cooling the planet is concerned. And don't forget, China's president, Xi Jinping, has declined an invitation to attend COP26. He's going to limit his participation to a video address. Dr. Lomborg, uh, Bjorn Lomborg joins us, founder of the Copenhagen Consensus Center Think Tank. His book, most recent, is False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. And Dr. Lomborg has um, had a column in yesterday's Globe and Mail, which was excellent reading. Dr. Lomborg, good to have you back with us. Much is being said about climate change being the existential threat to humankind and that COP26 is the last chance to make a real difference and turn the corner to net zero by 2050. Would you explain that to me, please? Yes, right. So good to be back. Yes, we're always being told that this is the very last chance uh, to make amends. Uh, The very first environment meeting uh, the UN ever held in 1972 in Stockholm uh, started with the uh, uh, the then head of the organization saying we have just 10 years left to avoid catastrophe. Uh, so we should take this with more than a pinch of salt. The reality is global warming is a problem. It's not by any means the end of the world. And anything we do will take a long time to make this be fixed. So fundamentally, the idea that we can somehow quickly snap our fingers and make dramatic impact is simply not correct. Just to give you a sense of proportion, if the entire rich world, that would be Canada and the U.S. and EU and U.K. and Japan and Australia and New Zealand and so on, if they all went carbon neutral now, this day, and stayed carbon neutral for the rest of the century, it would reduce temperatures by the end of the century by about 0.5 degrees centigrade. It would be noticeable. This would not be what really made the difference because most of the emissions comes from all the other Africa, all the countries that look to lift the populations out of poverty and get economic growth going. So this is not something that you can just wish away. This is not something you can just snap your fingers at. And despite all the promises, we have seen very little actual movement over the last 30 years. And so we should not expect that this particular summit in Glasgow will suddenly change that. So this isn't really any different to uh, Paris 2015. Lots of hot air. Well, it's probably less than Paris. At least Paris did make some uh, specific proposals, not very... Uh, 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 not very strong, and also, uh, and, and I think this is important for context, uh, the UN actually did an assessment of climate policy in the 2010s. So a whole decade, and what they called that decade was a lost 
decade, they've actually found that they couldn't tell the difference from what we have actually achieved from a world where we hadn't cared about climate at all since 2005. It tells you something that this was a decade where we had Paris, we had lots of political attention, and we had lots and lots of houses. But the truth is, it has very little impact on how we actually emit. Because once it gets cold, once you don't have power, populations simply want more power. They want you to turn back on, and as we're saying in, in Europe and China, turn on the old coal-fired power plants because nothing is worth than worse than actually being cold. Well, the president of France uh, found that out, didn't he? When uh, with his um, net zero ambitions and, and the increasing cost of energy, and uh, then there was the yellow vest protest, and 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 the president of France had to change his mind. Exactly, and this, of course, is what all leaders are dreading. The fact is, that you can promise a lot of things in climate because it sounds nice. You're basically saying, "I want to avoid." Uh, civilizational collapse. So vote for me. That sounds like a nice thing. But once you start talking about how much will this cost you, most people sign off. Uh, so there is uh, uh, the world's first study for the New Zealand government. How, how much would their net zero cost by 2050? And the answer is 16% of the New Zealand GDP every year by 2050. Uh, a new study for the U.S., shows in, 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 the, uh, in Nature magazine, shows the cost would be probably about 12% of U.S. GDP. So that's more than 11,000 U.S. dollars every year from 2050 for every U.S. citizen. Of course, nobody's actually going to stand up to that. Anyone who proposes that sort of uh, political uh, solution is going to be voted out of office. Yeah, let me just quote from a column that you wrote. They did appear in the uh, Globe and Mail on the 27th of October. In a frank analysis of recent climate policy, the UN calls the 2010s a lost decade. It notes that the level of emissions is the same as it would have been had no policies been put in place since 2005. That puts the challenge facing COP26 in perspective. World leaders can choose to do what they've done over decades and contribute to yet another meeting in a world overflowing with well-meaning climate summits, or leaders could finally go down a different path. The real problem with the current approach to climate policy is that as long as cutting emissions is expensive, leaders will talk a lot but do little. In the rich world, leaders want to avoid following in the embarrassing footsteps of French President Emmanuel Macron, who had to backtrack on a modest gasoline price hike after the Yellow Vest protests. In the poorer world, countries have much more important priorities, such as driving economic growth and getting their populations out of poverty. And then he wrote, what is needed is a much stronger focus on green energy research. If the world could develop green energy that was cheaper than fossil fuel, global warming would be solved. Says it all. Exactly. Yes, it really does, because we have always solved big human problems with innovation. We haven't solved them by telling people, I'm sorry, you have to do with less. You have to be colder and more uncomfortable. What we do is solve it with innovation that both make people better off and solve the problem. Remember back in the 1970s when we worried about there's not enough food in the world. The solution was not to ask everyone in the rich world, could, could you eat a little less and then we'll send it down uh, to the poor and suffering in the global south. The solution was the green revolution. We actually managed to produce seeds 
that had much higher yields. So every hectare of, uh, of, of uh, agriculture would now produce much more food. We need the same approach for climate. Instead of promising that we will do with less energy and with more expensive energy, with less convenient and less reliable energy, we need to innovate the next generations of green energy down below fossil fuels. If it's cheaper, everyone will switch. It just makes sense. I mean, I just let me just read that, that sentence again and then complete that, that short paragraph. What is needed is a much stronger focus on green energy research. If the world could develop green energy that was cheaper than fossil fuels, global warming would be solved. Everyone would switch, not just rich, well-meaning countries such as Canada, but everyone, including China and India. Working with 27 esteemed climate economists and three Nobel laureates, my think tank, the Copenhagen Consensus, found the most effective long-term climate policy is in investing a lot more resources into green R&D. Uh, I have five questions for you, Dr. Lomborg, in the, in the remaining time. So let's try to get, get through them here because I think they're relevant to each and every one of our listeners. What's the cost to individual Canadians of reaching for 2050 net zero emissions? The Royal Bank report uh, costs it out at $2 trillion and warns Canadians will have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. How uncomfortable? Well, quite uncomfortable. So we really have to understand this is going to be very expensive. For U.S. citizens, it'll probably be more than $11,000 per person per year. That's a huge cost. That is. That's massive. And that's spread out across the, the entire energy sector, I take it. Well, this is mostly in lost GDP growth. So what, what the kind of thing that you find in the uh, Royal Bank of Canada report is mostly an investment cost, which is part of the cost, but it's really not the right because you get some of the money back on th- those investments. But the real cost is that the economy grows slightly slower. Now, remember, Canadians will still be richer by 2050, but you will leave your kids much less well off than they otherwise could have been. Okay, now Biden, President Biden, simultaneously is calling on OPEC nations to increase oil production while he's calling for net zero. What are your thoughts on this, and what are your thoughts about China's president? (laughs) It's a a wonderful image of of the president flying to Europe for the climate summit and calling on OPEC to increase their (laughs) drilling and, uh, uh, and pumping of oil. So the reality here is it shows you most leaders don't want to do climate policies once their populations realize how expensive that is. Mm -hmm. So sure, it's easy to say we should do something about climate change, but when gas prices ramp up, most politicians uh, buckle and actually say, we need cheaper gas. Well, you're located in Europe, and uh, as you know better than most, Germany and other European nations are calling on Russia to increase their natural gas flow. And Mr. Putin says, of course, I'll do that. But simultaneously, he's making it very clear he's demanding construction of a new pipeline under the Baltic Sea. So it's quid pro quo. And on on one hand, they're saying we want to reduce our, our, our emissions and pollution. And I agree with that. But on the other hand, okay, Mr. Putin, go ahead and build the pipeline. Yes. Well, it shows how weak Europe is in this uh, situation. A lot of people would like to believe we can get by just with solar and wind. But of course, what do you do when the wind is not blowing and the sun is not shining? We don't have batteries enough at all to fix this problem. Just to give you a sense of proportion, 
Right now, the world has less than one minute to, uh, of storage for the entire world uh, electricity consumption. So, no, we can't do without fossil fuel backup. And that's why Europe needs the gas. And we're going to need it for a long time going forward. And the International Energy Agency is saying that by 2060, even if all the objectives are met, all the stated objectives are met, there's a difference between stated objectives and real objectives. If all the stated objectives are met, we'll still be using, uh, I think it is in the neighborhood of 60 to uh, 70 million barrels of oil every day in the world. So it's not an issue that's going to disappear at, at any time. The use of oil is not going to end no matter what people may wish or wish for themselves. But if we, let me come back to this. If we, what will spending trillions of dollars on aiming for net zero emissions cost uh, by the time we get to 2060? Can, can that number even be calculated? It's very, very hard because obviously you're talking about what will technology be in uh, 30 or 40 years from now. But the indications is this will be extraordinarily expensive. So we're talking about you know, cost way beyond what we typically spend on health care. Uh, this is a substantial cost of all costs that we can incur in the country. That's, of course, why we have to realize both. not going to get most populations to say yes if it's so expensive that it's really going to impact their uh, future opportunities and their kids' incomes. And we need to find, which was what we talked about just before, through innovation. If we could innovate the price of green energy down below fossil fuels, mm -hmm. it's not going to cost us anything. It's actually going to make us rich because then we'll get lots at very But we need that innovation because otherwise it's going to be cripplingly cost. So uh, you're not expecting much different this year from COP26 from what we received in 2015. No, we're certainly not going to get a huge difference. And if anything... We're likely very little come out of Glasgow, partly because everybody is now much more aware how incredibly expensive your energy is becoming and how they don't want that. And partly, of course, we have a situation where a lot of rich countries want to go to net zero, but a lot of poor countries are increasingly realizing this is going to mean that they won't be able to lift their populations out of poverty. And that matters a lot. So one last question for you. How do you interpret... The president of China, Mr. Xi Jinping, declining the invitation to attend personally at COP26 and participating instead in a virtual message to the assembled politicians. How do you interpret that? Oh, it's hard to know. I mean, he may also just be worried about COVID. Uh, there is a lot of COVID going around in, in the UK. But the honest answer is neither China nor India are actually willing to play along with the rich countries worry about climate change. Uh, the rich countries keep saying, we want to go to net zero. The poor countries, including China and India, are then saying, well, give us lots and lots of money. Talking to, we're trying to give, but more like 500, 750, or even $1.3 trillion a year. And of course they wait around to see but it's not actually going to get a, a significant cut in emissions. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.